What's up? It's episode 5 of Track Cocaine. I'm your host, Trevor Thiebaud, and joining me is the one and only Shea Austin. What's up? And sitting next to him is Evan D.B. Dunkley. Wow, it's good to be back, boys. Yeah, how, how was your little fishing trip? <laughs> Terrible, dude. We went fishing for like seven hours and I didn't get a single fish. What? So what, was just getting drunk on a lake? Like, at this point? Like... Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we were out in Rockford a little bit on the river, and then we went to some lake in Rockford, but it was just frustrating because, oh, maybe it's just the lure they are using. I will switch lures, still not get a fish. Maybe it's just the pull and pull off. Or you just suck at fishing. Yeah, they just catch fish right away. All right, so moving on. Not a lot of meat action this past week. Nothing big and super notable to talk about. Um, so we'll primarily focus on some random news that everyone will, whether you're a runner or non-runner, will find interesting. Then we'll have probably our best interview yet. Just to start things off, a little bit of notable news. Um, you may or may not have heard, uh, the whistleblower on, uh, the whole Russian sheeting scandal. Well, that got into a lot of governments now. That was such an embarrassment to Russia a lot of other nations are um, kind of making a bigger and bigger deal out of performance-enhancing drugs, our own being one of them. Uh, they, we got a bill right now proposed into Congress to make them performance-enhancing drugs a criminal offense. So as in you get caught using certain steroids and stuff without a proper prescription, completely illegal. Whether it's, you're selling, buying... It's international athletes. So if an American athlete competes in an event with more than three foreign nations and they're they get caught it's $250,000 fine or up to 10 years in prison so it's only international but still so Joe Blow who just wants to get jagged lifting in his local YMCA can still roll it up but somebody like Mo Farah can't someone who wants to compete you know it's a little different here so I mean honestly I it don't cheat I, I think that that's probably like the, just the number one thing I can say here. Yeah. So what do you have for new news, DB? Oh, I just want to say, no, I like the bill. I agree with it. But um, up next, just a little bit of sad news. Uh, but I think this award is going to go to uh, the best candidates. But we all know what the SPs are. It's uh, July 18th in L.A., hosted by Danica Patrick this year. It's a sporting award show put on by ESPN every year for athletes uh, worldwide. You know, typically – Person that wins this award uh, goes to what Phil Jackson and Bill Belichick because you know just being great coaches year mm-hmm. after year. Uh, but however, this year it's going to a trio of high school coaches. I'm um, actually going to a cross country coach, so it fits in well with our show. But we're all aware of the horrific tragedy at Stone Douglas Stoneman Douglas High School, the shooting that happened a couple months ago. But three brave gentlemen, uh, Aaron Feist, Scott Beagle, and Chris Hickson. Gave their life to protecting their students. Yeah, like, uh, I mean, usually we're joking around on this show, but like when we heard that an SB is going to a trio of high school coaches, yeah. that's pretty big news. Yeah, it's too good not to cover. And then yeah. Scott Beagle being a cross-country coach fits in here too, but if you do get a chance to see that, very sad tragedy, so it's good they're giving it to those guys. Mm-hmm. So I, mean, I guess that's all we have for news, so we'll get mm-hmm. on to the interview a little bit. joined by someone I've known since seventh grade went to the same high school as me he graduated around the same time as my dad he is known as the pride of Cadillac he won a state championship in the 600 meter for Cadillac High School then wanted to run for Eastern Michigan at EMU he was a multiple time All-American and won the last ever D1 4 800 meter national championship because they axed the event the next year he then went pro throughout his career he almost broke four flat in the mile weighing over 200 pounds was a 1996 Olympian placed top 10 in the world twice was featured on the cover of Runner Rules magazine and cut off two toes to only come back and run faster. Additionally, he is a former member of the U.S. Coast Guard and has more stories than Dr. Seuss. It is our pleasure to welcome the most interesting runner in the world, Paul McMullen. What's up, Paul? How's it going, Trevor? Good. Uh, so I'm here with Shay and Evan DB as well. So let's kick right. this thing off. Uh you ran in an era where you didn't really have social media, and if you did have social media, you probably would have been the biggest named athlete in your era. Like, step aside Michael Jordan, Steve Young, it's Paul McMullen. 
<laughs> I don't think I don't think so. Uh, we still know who Michael Jordan is, and there was no social media then. So, um, but yeah, it was uh, it was a time where you know um, you had to wait two months for track and field news to come out, you know, to get results, and and uh, it was a different time, different place. Uh, but now, yeah, it's uh, it's it's an exciting interactive world um, than it used to be. You think uh, I've just. Now that we have more of this uh, interactability, do you think running um, will become a bigger sport mainly because of that more so than like another sport that would normally get coverage or do you think it's about the same? Well, I think it depends on the athlete. Um, If the athlete is open and engages with fans, um, I think it creates a greater following, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, if they're closed off and, you know, kind of have an elite uh, mentality, mm-hmm. then I don't think it helps. Uh, so I think the more that athletes can throughout the day respond to direct messages, the better the sport's going to be. And and that's just a questions or, Hey, nice race or whatever. Just that those short back and forth conversations with fans, uh, that's going to make the sport grow. And I think that should be their obligation uh, in a way to give back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So we'll start this at the beginning. Let's talk about your high school experience at Cadillac where you ran, uh, won a state championship, but you didn't really want to be a runner. What did you want to be? Yeah, so I always tell people running chose me. I did not choose it. And that was because I – in my own mind, wanted to be a football player and really enjoyed the violence uh, that you could unleash on someone and not go to jail while on a football field. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, that's what, that was really, you know, back in the day when I was kind of full of, you know, adrenaline and um, recklessness that I, I found the most pleasure, you know, from was hitting people on a football field. And so running, not being a full contact sport, it didn't really appeal to me at first. But there was a, uh, a person that did inspire me that, that kind of got me into it. And, uh, and my football coach once came to a track meet and, and asked me, you know, why in the hell didn't you beat that guy, you know? Just like, and I can can I swear? Is that okay if yeah, I swear? Absolutely, go okay. for it. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna swear because because this is how it went down. Um, I was in a mile race in high school, and my football coach came up to me just like he would grab a hold of my face mask and goes, "What in the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> I go. I go coach and running the mile and, and that guy on my team he, he, and the, another guy from the other team, they're just supposed to beat me. I, I win the 800 and, and they win the mile. And he goes, <laughs> the fuck they, the fuck they can. You need to get out there and you need to kick their fucking asses. And I was like, all right, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he, he got in my face and the next, you know, that, that really turned a flip the switch in my head. And, and I started to be competitive every time the, the, the gun went off and then realized how much I disliked losing. And if I started to train, I lost, I lost less. Or if I did lose, <laughs> it wasn't double digit seconds. You know, they were ahead of me. So, um, so that ended up being, you know, a cause and effect. Train more, win less, or you know, win more. So, so you're one of those guys you hated losing more than you enjoyed winning, really. Oh yeah. All right. So you also you also met your wife in high school. Uh, let's hear let's hear about that and the little bike story that you've uh, told me. Yeah, yeah, man. I was one horny dude when I was a kid. Um, that uh, Would not. I mean, who wasn't? You know, yeah, when, you're, exactly. when you're 16 and your your girlfriend's the most smoking hot chick ever from Spain, what? and her name's and her name's Nudia. Oh, she was a she was an exchange student. There's no way you're laying in bed at night on a school night and staying there. You're <laughs> even if it's in February, I would get on my bike in the middle of the night, freezing cold up in Cadillac. It's oh, like, you know, around zero degrees. And I'm pedaling my bike all the way over to her house, which is three miles away. 
and I would sneak in to the host family's house up into her bedroom, and I would stay there a couple hours and then go back uh-huh. home. And then the next day, just totally sleep through class, right? Yeah, and then go train. (laughs) And then go train, exactly, exactly. So that three-mile bike ride, I mean, you must have just gotten really, really good. I mean, you get there like, (laughs) oh, folks are out, we're gone. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, when I got there, she would help warm me up, you know, right away because, you know, my feet were cold, my hands were cold, other parts were cold. Exactly. And that warm bed felt like a million bucks after three oh, miles. There and you go. <laughs> Ultimate training session. There you go. Did you uh, ever get yep. caught? Oh, yes. Uh, I, was, I wasn't going to mention that, but yeah. Um, my <laughs> we had dad, dad woke up one night. It sees the bike uh, trail in the snow out the driveway. And uh, he drove over to her house. And my bike was parked. So he knew exactly where you were headed then. Well, hell yeah. I mean, he knows where that dog hunts. So, uh, <laughs> um, so well, and then when he got there, my bike's just leaned against the garage door, right? You can see it from the road. And uh, thank God he didn't go into the house because that would have been awkward, right? Uh-huh. You know, I'm making a mad dash out the door naked in the snow. Um but he went home and called the host family's parents Ooh. while I while I was there. So I'm in bed, right, upstairs in the bedroom, and I can start hearing the phone ringing. And I'm just, you know, your heart rate goes through the roof like there's a cop chasing you. And you're like, God, no, please, you're listening for footprints. Don't get up and get the phone. And they never moved. And I was like, oh, my God, thank God. But it, but I was smart enough then to know that that phone call at 2.30 in the morning was my parents. And oh, okay. I had – I hauled ass home. <laughs> so anyway, the punishment was the next morning my dad asked, what time did you get in last night? And I said, you know, 9, you know, after I got done studying, you know, wherever. And he's like, no, what time did you get in? And I was like, oh, shit. so so it gets worse my dad's punishment well of course he ground the shit out of me and i couldn't touch the car or anything and i could drive then but i i I didn't take the car because it made too much noise Uh, but i had to sit down with her parents with her there and tell them that i had snuck into their house in the middle of the night Uh awkward moment that's (laughs) a little brutal what did they say uh what were you doing and what, what, what were you doing? What would a 16 year old say? <laughs> just tell talking. them stories. Just, yeah. just talking. Just yeah. talking. <laughs> yeah, we're just talking, all right. So, um, anyway, it was, uh, it was, she didn't, she thought she would, and, you know, then there's this anticipation she was going to get, you know, deported and sent back home and everything. And, and, uh, yeah, thank you. That's goodness. like one of the biggest rules with a foreign exchange student is you're technically not really supposed to date, I don't think. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, we broke those rules right away. <laughs> so the, the crazy thing of this whole story, man, and I don't think I ever even told people this is we never made it when we were younger. You know, we were both a little nuts, you know, and I liked violence on a football field. She liked driving crazy, you know, and then she had to go back to Spain. I went to Eastern Michigan on a, on a scholarship, but I ran as fast as I could so I could run in Europe and I would end up on TV and hopefully she would see me again, you know, yeah. someday. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was one of the motivators. You know, when you're out for those long 10 mile runs, it's freezing cold or you're doing a hard ass workout yeah. or you're trying to hit a qualifying standard to make a, make an Olympic team or a world team. I would hope she could see me run and, uh, and that we would, we'd be together again someday, even when I was married to someone else, you know, we were separated for 18 years, but I was always trying to some way run back to her. Yeah. And, uh, and we ended up, you know, marrying now seven years ago. Wow. Anyway, talk about some motivation. Wait, I forgot to say her name. Her name is Nudia. Nudia. You know, like nude, no clothes. Yeah. (laughs) With an E on the end. I I like that. Absolutely. Wow. Yep. Just when you know, you know. Holy cow, that's that's awesome, dude. <laughs> so, yep, so, so you brought up going to Eastern Michigan on scholarship. Let's talk about that and winning the, the last 
four by 800 meter national championship there and collecting numerous All-Americans. How was Eastern Michigan? Yeah, man. Eastern Michigan is what I call the deep end of the pool, um, <laughs> where you're coming from East, you're coming from a, a little tiny town of, of Cadillac. Never even ran over five miles before I left Cadillac on a single run. That was my longest run was, was about five miles. I never even ran around the, the, the local lake we have there. It's about, I don't know, it's over six miles, I think, around the lake. I never even ran around the lake. Jeez, yeah, I know. So first day of cross-country practice, I'm a former football player, never even ran cross-country before. We run 14 miles. <laughs> so the process of going from that to winning a 4 by 8 and integrating yourself on really a team of badasses has to do with a mentality of stretching yourself and overcoming day after day of no positive things are happening to you. You know, you're getting injured. The dining commons has, you know, food 24 seven. You're just chowing down, you know, your, your, your family's away from you. Everybody on the team can kick your ass five times over. And the only way to not get lost on a run is to cut the course all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Which made me very unpopular with oh, yeah. the upperclassmen because I kept cutting the course, right? They do 10 miles. I do like seven, you know, because whenever there was a park, I would like go through the park to catch that <laughs> dust. Meet I up with them lost. later, yeah. So what happens with uh, a coach, and really that's the that's the thing we need to talk about is, is a culture of uh, projects like me that go from unknown to really can hold their own against any division one athlete in the country. And once I understood that I had the potential, assuming I didn't quit or get too discouraged, there was a, uh, a process that I had to follow of become of being completely broken down and then rebuilt back up. Mm -hmm. And there were, upperclassmen ahead of me that have gone through that process and and gave me hope when I had none and I would come to practice work through my injuries and just stay on it and stay on it and then that one day came in 1993 when we won the 4x8 national championship where magic happens and that's where there's there's four projects that are going to hand off a baton one after the other and we're going to go against the, the 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 entire returning defending champions from the University of Florida, who was anchoring the NCAA champion in the 800. His Ooh, name was Scott oh, Peters. Yeah, yeah. So it, it stacked against us. You got George Mason in there. You got Georgetown. Um, those were heavy duty four by eight teams back then, and and everybody on that team brought it and we if we didn't have a personal best we ran we ran our we ran right close to it mm -hmm. i was the one that blew it open on the second leg i run 1476 and my previous best was 150 oh. and gave us huge ass lead florida was florida was way back at that point they had mm -hmm. their weaker leg and it looked it was demoralizing right yeah. and then we yeah. pulled the lead and finishing strong national champions it was just freaking beside myself man. magical that's yeah awesome. that's awesome yep. so we'll go on to your pro career really and sure you were one of the fastest milers in the country and you were a pretty big boy like you're what 180 190 running sub four and then yep. you had a pretty big rivalry with steve holman so let's hear about the beginning of your pro uh, pro career yeah so um i spent what two years getting beat up by Sullivan in the NCAAs, never won an individual um, national championship title, was second my senior year in the 1500 meter, and two weeks later we got the, the outdoor national championships. Uh, when you think about the business of, of track and field, it's, it's transformed like light years from what it used to be. I signed my first shoe contract coming out of Eastern Michigan as an eight-time All-American for twelve thousand dollars a year, that was it. Wow. <laughs> I signed it Ooh. in June, so I was only guaranteed the second half of the year. So it was only six grand, oh. and that was it. I mean, like peanuts, right? So what? What were you supposed to do? 
<laughs> exactly. You, 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 you either you still live in an apartment with a bunch of roommates, or you still live with your parents, right? When you get out of college, and yeah. I wasn't living with my parents, so I had roommates, you know, and I I could make the I could make my portion of the rent and you know do my thing. So I took the last NCA meet, took the Eastern Michigan jersey off, put on an Asics jersey, and lined up against people that I watched run a couple of times, but I didn't really know who they were, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't know who Steve Holman was and uh, just did what I was supposed to do. Coach Parks, his gift was to teach you how to be an incredibly smart tactical runner. You developed instincts to race better than any of the people you had to run against because we raced so much. I, it was like high school volume when I was in college. I ran, I raced all the time. Now I didn't go balls to the wall every race. I would change it up and create, you know, like like uh Prefontaine used to say. I you create a masterpiece. Sometimes it's starting about in the back or the front or whatever. All of this experience transferred into winning that first nineteen ninety five US outdoor championship against a seasoned field where it was slow in the beginning. We went out through the 800 slower than the women's race. Oh, wow. I mean, pedestrian. Uh. And then this guy, Steve Holman, drops a 54 after we do that because he could. I mean, he was a 332 guy. You know, I mean, he could haul ass. So he starts flying. It's not a big deal to me because my PR at the time for 800 is like 146. And I just did that about two weeks ago before the race. And I just run on his on his on his I was just run on his on his hip, you know, yeah. just like dude, let's roll. Let's race, yeah. Anyway, he comes through, he comes through with a lap to go, I'm still holding it. The next thing you know, I'm I'm in a box. He's kinda holding on, but he's not going very fast. And I'm like, Well, I think he's like the best dude in the race, so I'm just gonna sit on him. Anyway, we get crowded coming down the home stretch, and I'm like, shit, we're gonna have to go five wide if I'm gonna win this damn thing. No, wait a minute. Fucker moves from lane one to lane two, right at the start of the last hundred meters. So he just opened. I mean, he just opened it up for you. Wide open, surprised the shit out of me, and it took me about a split second to go. I'm gonna fucking win right now. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. I got this. I got this. I go blazing right down the rail. He didn't have to move over. He didn't have to do anything. It was just like a shock. We all just swarmed him. He ended up fifth, and I won tying the guy to the hundredth of a second Holy who was second hell. place. Yeah. They had to wow. go to the thousandths of a second to, de- to decide if I had won or not. And the guy was from Grand Rapids, Michigan, go figure. Really? Small whole yeah. world. So two Michigan And I never, and I never even raced him before at that time. Who so, was it? Uh, Brian Hyde was his name. Really? Wow. Yeah, East, East Kentwood High School. Yeah. It's awesome. So anyway, so that was my first national championship, and um, then I went on later that summer to place tenth in the IAAF World Championships, and that just kept things going until the '96 trials, where I got a little bit of a showboaty, you know, in the semifinal of the 1500 meter trials, and uh, that's a good story behind that one because I'm not usually that flashy. Yeah, so let's hear this story because um, I know you had kind of a history of Steve where. You didn't really like them pretty much, and so let's hear the flashiness of the Olympic trials in 96. Yeah, so the backstory is after I beat him in 95, and I hit the A standard for the world championships and then went on to place 10th, this was all a shock to the 1,500-meter coaching community because normally a kid doesn't come out of college running cross-country, indoor track, outdoor track, and then qualify and place 10th in the IAAF World Championships. It was really, really weird. And Steve assumed I was the weak link and that he would take my spot at the IAAF Championships. So that in itself put us at odds. He had expectations. I've, I'm, I messed him up for him. <laughs> the same thing. So what the, the management of... USA track and field did at the time was prevent he and I from racing each other. And so the first thing that pissed me off is I ran 401.6 for the indoor mile and they denied me 
an invitation to the indoor mile championships. They said, nope, you didn't break four. We're not allowing you in. And Steve was paid $5,000 as an appearance fee and never even ran a mile indoor until the U.S. championships. What? What? Well, so you want to you want to yeah. piss off the guy? Now that'll do it, right? Ooh. Oh yeah. Okay. So then I boycott every single domestic race that the USA Track and Field was was uh, making like an official stop before the Olympics. Yeah. I'm like fuck, I'm not going. Yeah. No, I'm not yeah. going. So I go to Japan, I go to Belgium, I go all over the world, and and I get my time. You know, I get my yeah. I get my my race on. I'm racing. Hopefully, the people I'll race against in the Olympics. Look you know, I'm racing against yeah. Helga Rouge. Yeah, uh, I'm racing against um, Nordine Morselli, and and my spring went fine. And, and probably Steve, having more fun too. I was having a great time, man. I mean, I'm I'm 24 years old, traveling the world. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. You know, so. It was, it was great. I had a lot of fun. So, But by the time the Olympic trials came around, Steve had done a couple of interviews to say that he doesn't have anybody to worry about at the Olympic trials except for himself. That's it. Well, mm, that's a bold I statement. Consider, I don't consider McMullen a threat to, to make the team. I don't consider anybody. Really, it's it's me. I mean, I'm, I'm the golden boy. I Ooh. got this. Ooh. So I'm mad. I'm absolutely furious. So we go back to the tactics that were taught to me by Coach Parks during all those races that I did in college. And now comes a, a repertoire, a toolbox to handle every single thing that I could possibly face in the, the, the qualifying rounds to the final of the 1500 meters. First round goes by, no big deal, just go flying in, felt good. Second one comes around, Steve Holman's in there, and I box that dude in so bad. Yeah. <laughs> hey. He even says, he even asks me, can I get out of the box while we're racing? I mean, who does that, right? Hey, uh, what did you say to that? Probably nothing? I'm um, like, no. I literally said, uh, no. I mean, we weren't running very hard. And yeah. I go, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so then he starts pushing on me. And you can't tell it in the in the video, but he literally okay. He's gonna try to push me out of the way. I'm like, no, yeah, right. no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm literally twice your size here, buddy. <laughs> right, I know. I mean, I, I had 50 pounds on the guy. He's not moving me, you know, and I'm not letting him out. He can't run over the guy in front of him. He rips that dude's number off his hip. That's how bad he wanted to get out. <laughs> it's like he tries. He tried pulling that dude out of the way, but he was gonna hit the rail. He's gonna get yeah. disqualified. So. He ended up having to hit the brakes and go all the way around and go out the back door of the field, right? Mm -hmm. And then sprint all the way around the whole field. Uh, And finally, you know, I was was just controlling the race. And in the last 100 meters, I hit the gas a little bit, get rid of all the people around me. And I look over to my right, and here's Steve Holman sprinting in with everything he has. (laughs) I mean, killing it, you know? Just wanting to prove to everybody he was he had the wheels to to light it up. So he had so the biggest nuts of ever in the race. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, dude, I'm like, you need to win this semifinal right now. Oh yeah, you go right ahead. This isn't the real one yet. I'm <laughs> bringing everything you've never even seen before in the final. But it looks like you're pretty stressed out, so I'm just gonna let you win the semifinal. And I did. I just let him fly by. I'm like, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so then in the final, I, I that's what you call winning the final in the semifinal. My biggest competitor, I had unglued mentally, mm-hmm. and I yeah. knew that I would then be able to dominate him in the final. And there was other dudes in there I had to worry about, but but Steve Holman, with 400 meters to go with 300 meters to go is right on my six. He's right, right behind me. I mean, he's in a perfect spot, not in a box. He's following the fastest guy in the race, sitting right on me. And I dropped a 25 in the first 200 of the last 400. Ooh, damn. Ooh, set the tone. Ooh. Set the tone. That's right. It's, it's, and it, you know, I mentally, I say the, the process of convincing every other runner in the race, they cannot win. Ooh. And you will. And you do that by by ripping the first the first two hundred and twenty five, and I should mention it's hundred and sixteen degrees on the track. What? Oh my God! Where's the set? 
It was in Atlanta, Georgia. It's hotter oh, than shit. In the stadium. Okay, yeah. In the stadium, no wind, super, super hot. Holy and I God. drop a 25, and then all hell breaks loose. I'm like, oh, God, I may have written a check that's not going to be able to be cashed. <laughs> and so the, le- the next 200, I run a 28. Ooh. I slow down three seconds in the last four, last Ooh. 200. Ooh, okay. And all the dudes keep coming, man. They almost got me. Anyway, but, you end I, up, but I ended up holding on, and I won, won by .02. And you end up punching your ticket to the Olympics? And Punch you were able to run the 96 Olympics in yep. your home country. Describe that experience and how amazing it was to pretty much really have the hometown crowd. Yeah, that was that was the greatest moment I've had in, in all of my running career was the prelims of the Olympic 1500-meter run. And it was coined with uh, Fermin Cacho, the 90, 92 um, gold medalist from Barcelona, was in my heat. And... We uh, we ran together down the home stretch, and I went from fifth to second in the last lap, and the crowd created a shockwave <laughs> so powerful. I swear to God, we almost fell over. I mean, it's un- you know, I mean, like if you go to a a club or a band, you can feel the bass, right? Yeah. The people screaming, eighty thousand of them all at once as you pass the final guy and start working on the Olympic champion. Go crazy, man. It was nuts. And there's a couple pictures where, where Fermi and Cacho's looking over his shoulder going, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? <laughs> Never heard a crowd of that size. Because <laughs> Americans, yeah. Americans love their sport, and when you're hosting the Olympics, there's probably no better feeling when you're going down that home stretch having 80,000 people from your own country screaming at you. It, yeah. Yep, and, and they were waiting. They had seven prelims of the fifteen hundred. The two other Americans did not advance, and I was in the last one. And the place went nuts, man. Went nuts. So after probably your greatest track moment, a year later, you probably had your worst track moment when you cut off two toes. Well, let's hear that story. Yep. So I just gone for a ten miler. It's nine days before the U.S. Outdoor Championships where I'm going to defend my title for the hopefully the third time in a row. And uh, I am outside mowing a neighbor's lawn, go figure. Mm-hmm. And the guy hadn't mowed his lawn in like – it's June 3rd. He hadn't mowed his lawn all year. Oh, and so I set the deck of the lawnmower up about six inches from, you know, normal, right? Because that's the only way I can ram it through the field that's that this guy's lawn. And it's in a neighborhood. He just hadn't mowed it. I finished mowing the lawn, walking it down the freshly cut grass. And I, I'm retired Coast Guard. And the Coast Guard comes up with this awesome term. It's called loss of situational awareness. <laughs> That makes sense. Yeah, you're doing something, you're not paying attention, and shit goes sideways. Well, my foot went forward, my body went backward, and I pulled on the handle of the lawnmower going downhill with the deck of the lawnmower set super high. Oh. And my foot shoots underneath a brand new lawnmower, oh. blades as sharp as razors, and it cuts through my toes like butter i flipped the lawnmower off of my off of my foot and i looked down and i got white exposed bone on at least two toes and i go that's not good (laughs) and just sit back on my ass and go fuck I'm neighbor across the street yells, are you okay? I go, no, you better call 911. I'm sitting there. Neighbor walks over. Dude, we're going to take you to the to the emergency room now. Is that okay? I'm like, yeah. He <laughs> says, but before you go, I think we ought to take your toes. I'm like, <laughs> what? It didn't even occur to me that the, the blades cut off my toes so clean. They weren't like hamburger. They were just like sitting there in the freaking grass. Oh, 
my neighbor points to him and she goes, maybe we ought, maybe we ought to put him in a glass of ice and maybe they can put him back on. <laughs> At this point, you know, you're, does it hit you like, hey, I'm a runner for a profession? Yeah, well, I mean, I knew I was a runner, but we're talking about, you know, decisions in my immediate future I had not expected to make. Uh-huh. Like, let's take your toes to the lawn, to the emergency room and see if they can sew them back on. In my head, I was thinking of I'm gonna win the thir- my third, you know, national title in the 1500. Yeah, that's what you call a moment of humility, right there. So all of this moment comes down into one thing. It was actually one workout at Eastern Michigan when I was running with a cross country team, and fear is a oppressive thing it sits on your chest sometimes like a panic attack right you can't even get any air in you can't feel your legs you can't feel any kind of confidence mm-hmm. and i was doing this eight by one thousand meter relay or eight by one thousand meter workout where we had two minutes in between each one thousand and i had done seven and i couldn't keep up with the red shirt freshman on the cross country team absolutely having a nightmare uh, to make things worse, my right foot is is covered in blood because the 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 toes, the stubs that were left over uh-huh. on uneven surface would shift all over the place, and the blood blisters that had developed on the tips of the two stubs had burst. Oh, and there's blood all over the place. My right foot feels like it. I gone through a steeplechase barrier, right? The water barrier and got one foot wet. It was nasty. All of a sudden, I can't take it anymore. I fucking lose it. I take one after the the seventh one. I'm like, there's no point. I'm quitting. This is, this is over. I'm never going to run fast again. This is the most worst thing that could ever happen. I'm so embarrassed. I ruined my career. Throw one shoe 50 yards one way, not 50 yards, probably 50 feet one way, probably 50 feet the other way, swearing <laughs> to everything right I have. Tears pouring down my eye, my face. The team's looking around like, what the fuck? Should we call someone and put this dude in a straitjacket? He's lost it. <laughs> Full-blown tantrum of Olympic proportions, pounding the, the ground, screaming, grunting, bawling my eyes out and the man that brought me back from the brink of total mental breakdown was Bob Parks and he walks over to me I can hear his shoes coming over I look up at him and he says are you done yet <laughs> you know kind of like the father to the kid that's throwing a tantrum in the middle of the living room are you done yet you know, or do I need to give you a, do I need to give you something to cry about? You know, that was this, the tone of his voice. And I go, I look back up and I go, uh, yeah. You know, I couldn't tell if he meant done as a runner, done with the workout or done with the tantrum. So I go, yeah, I'm done. And he goes, good. So somebody go get his shoes. Cause this, the rest period is almost over. <laughs> he wasn't going to let me quit that day. At that moment, he says, you got one more to go. We got eight. You've only done seven. So get your fucking shoes on. Let's get this damn workout over with. Oh, so I start bitching and moaning. The guys go and get my shoes. One go one way. One goes the other way. I start grunting. I'm like, what's the point? This is such bullshit. You know, I'm just, I'm just screaming. And he goes, he goes, hurry the fuck up. We got to get this workout over with. So he does what he always does to start us off. And he goes, ready, go. And we, I take off. And I go from the, from the back. I start working my way through dudes that have been beating me all workout. The next thing you know, I'm into like the top 12 of the team, right? Then I'm in the top seven. Then I'm in the top five. We only got one lap around this 1,000-meter loop. Uh-huh. The next thing you know, I'm closing in on the number one runner. I'm like, fuck, this feels like the old days. And I just bust it home and finish. And I win. I win the last the last one. And, you know, everybody kind of saves something for the last yeah. one. The, the number one runner was laying it down, you know. Uh-huh. I look over to Coach Parks and he goes, so are you done? And I go, no. 
goes, I see you tomorrow. He goes, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. And that was the start right there. I had accepted the fact that I may never run fast again. And I was willing to take the risk without the guarantee I would run hard. And it's what every single runner has to do, right? Mm -hmm. We all have to train our balls off to hopefully get a personal best, hopefully to win something that's significant. And we all take that risk. And I was at the ultimate of my risk taking and I had to do all this hard work without any guarantee. And my coach was going to stand by me no matter what. And that was, uh, that was the moment. So that's awesome. Less than, less than three months later, man, I was burning up sub fours again and won the indoor national championship against the same dude, freaking Steve Holman with now only eight toes. So, boy. Yeah. Where did the, the lawnmower company, didn't they pay you off a little bit? Yeah, yeah, that was a little side story. So shoe company ASICS cuts my, my, sal- my base salary in half, and I petitioned the Toro Lawnmower Company to say this tragedy happened, and I was hoping to, to be your safety spokesman after this <laughs> after this event. Because, I mean, I was on CNN Headline News. I was uh, I was in runner's world. I mean, this was like a big deal. It's like a pianist, you know, sh- chomping off their fingers, you know, in a lawnmower or something. He can't play can't play music anymore. Here I am, a runner chopping off his toes, and so Toro did a solid. They paid me sixteen grand over three years to sign a waiver to say I wouldn't sue the company. Uh-huh. And I was the kind of, you know, tongue-in-cheek safety ambassador for them. And I never made a single appearance. They paid every single check without any delay. And uh, that's how one of the ways I supplemented my income from getting cut, you know, from ASICs. So it was good. Yeah. Signing with Toro. Signing with Toro, man. A lot more company. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. Runner's World called you the fastest miler ever with less than 10 toes in their little magazine. Yeah, yeah. World record holder for, for a dude with eight toes, yeah. <laughs> so how was that an adjustment going from, I mean, running, did you feel like your form had to change significantly, build a different muscle, I mean, was it just rehab? Yeah, so it's, that's a great question um, because, as you know, our spikes need to fit right. Yeah. It, you know, you, you got to have a nice tight fit. I used to run without socks, you know, so I could even wear smaller spikes. My left foot stayed uh, spike size of 11, and then my right foot uh, turned into a spike size of a 10.5. So every time I ordered a pair of spikes, I got a size 11 and a size 10.5, and, and that that really closed down the the gap that was in the right foot, you know, after I lost the two toes. Mm -hmm. And then uh, uh, the toes just had to get tough because turning left all the time, that outside foot really has to, you know, sort of stab the track. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, I had to get used, I I had to get some big calluses on the tips of those stubs so that they could tolerate you know, that, that abuse inside the shoe. So, but, um, that was about it, man. It wasn't, wasn't like a rubber plug they put in there. Yeah. Anything yeah. else just, just cut down just the, the suck shoe it, size. Suck it up, figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. It was low tech. Yeah. So. That's awesome. So then later in your career, you end up joining the Coast Guard, like you said, and you end up breaking their one and a half mile record and went 709. Let's hear about the yeah. Coast Guard and that experience. All right, so now at what I was tw- I was thirty years old, right? I'm I just finished um, my running career, um, and with with being sponsored by Saucony at the time, it was two thousand two in um, October, and I was I was on Google, you know, I was people could see me, I was on the cover of Runner's World in March of two thousand two, and um, here I am now in the Coast Guard, right? And this is an October of 2002. So I had quite a bit of publicity up until then. And the company commanders at uh, Cape May, New Jersey for the Coast Guard Training Center were able to Google me and find out that I was an Olympian. And it was odd that a 30-year-old basic recruit is, you know, there because everybody else is 19 to 20, right? And I just look weird. And they couldn't figure me out. And then they had to Google me, found my name. And they're like, son of a bitch. (laughs) 
Oh, dude. We're getting this guy. We got a fucking Porsche parked in the garage, and we're going (laughs) to run that motherfucker into the ground right now. And so it was like, so, so think of it, you know, if you, if you're a kid and you got a whole bunch of fast toys, right? You want to pull the fast one out and show it off to the other company commanders. Like, oh no, no, wait, wait, wait. I got a guy. I got a guy. And they'd pit us against each other. Say, oh no, no, no. I got a guy. I got a guy. And and the next thing you know, they're betting on me to break the, the, the mile and a half record among, amongst them all. They're like, oh, yeah, the old guy. Yep, he can do it. He can do it. I know he can do it. And so the day I broke the thing, it was freezing cold, windy as shit. You're just in, like, running trainers, right? You don't have spikes or anything on. And the previous record was, like, 720. So I do the math. I'm like, I don't even know. Maybe you guys can figure this out while I'm doing it. How fast is is 709 for a mile? I don't even know. It's like 446 pace for a mile. It's what? 446 pace for a mile. So it's like 446 pace. 30 degrees, December 6th or something. Windy as shit, and I'm running all by myself. They wouldn't even let me run against anybody else. Oh, jeez. And then, and then they, they have the, 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 the commanding officer of the entire training center comes there. And then the Coast Guard's you know, uh, public relations people are there. And my uh, the same thing happened in, in high school with the football coach, right? Company commander goes over, gets in my face. He goes, Seaman Recruit McMullen, you fucking break that goddamn mile and a half record right now or you will never see the light of day. I will kick your ass for the next two oh. weeks. Like, have never been worked. We've been gentle with you up until now. You will enter a life of hell if you don't fucking break that oh record God. right now. <laughs> Holy hell. Pressure, man. That's my pep talk. Okay. So. I mark. Get set. Go. Oh. <laughs> it's just, like, it just like that. So the next thing I'm running around, people are, you know, people are lying all the way around the track. No one's running with me. It was the weirdest thing ever, you know. The next thing you know, I, I couldn't even calculate what, what the proper pace was. You know, I'm like, well, I'll try to run 70s, you know. And, yeah. and, uh, and then they're not giving me any splits. <laughs> Oh, no. They had no idea how even to time a guy, you know? So anyway, I break the record, and, you know, everybody goes crazy. It was awesome. But, man, it was one of the oddest things that ever happened to me. So you guys want to hear about a little high-speed chase stuff? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. I love this so far. Because everybody in track loves going fast, right? Yeah, naturally. I mean, we go from here to there, and we time it, right? Yeah. Yeah, see how fast we literally is the basis of our sport. Yeah, An- another day we see if we can, you know, time, speed, distance. You know, yeah. let's see if we can improve the time yeah, by it's going. Not, fast. It's not who's the slowest out on the track. That's right. Yeah, I mean it's it's fun. We're going for PRs, so we've all done the same thing. So I make a practice of this. You know, usually driving fast, and Trevor knows this. He's been next to me. You know, doing live Snapchat a few times, taking pictures of how fast we're going. You know, and it's sometimes so, 112. Yeah, I mean we're moving right along. So since the the first couple of times Trevor and I've been together, I've upgraded my ride. So I still a Saab. Um, they don't make them anymore, but but Saabs make uh, used to make jet engines and jets. And so the license plate on my car now is a vanity license plate. It's L N D J E T, Land Jet. <laughs> and so I like to live up to that name. And so one of the best worst stories I'm gonna tell right now could probably get me thrown in jail someday. But why not? Because it's track cocaine. Is I was on my way out to uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, to do some deep powder skiing with my brother Phil, who was driving from California. We're gonna meet in the middle of the country and throw down some some serious runs and some deep powder. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna drive solo because it's like one of these last minute things we do, and I go hauling ass across the country from Michigan all the way to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which is, by the way, 28 hours of driving straight Whoa. through. Okay. I'm 1,200 miles into this son of a bitch, or maybe longer. Yeah, about 1,200 miles into it. Just went into just went into Wyoming. I'm on I-80, 
And most of the time, I'm carrying, I don't ever go below 90 the whole time. And and whenever I can, where I feel, you know, I got to feel a little itch, I'm just pushing the right foot down and taking it up over to 110. Get this over with. Get the, get this gone. Yeah, because, you know, I've, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to surprise my brother and get in there three hours early, right? Like, mm-hmm. what the fuck? Did you take a flight or something? I said, yeah, I took a flight. It's right there. There's my, there's my car. It's called the Landjet. Anyway, so we're hauling ass. The next thing I know, one, you know, um, bystander that I go blowing by gets nervous, right? Like, that's reckless driving, and that's it. I'm yeah. telling on that guy. So he calls 911 on I-80. And I can only imagine how the conversation went. Hello, 911. What's your emergency? Well, this really is an emergency, but a car just went by me at way over 100 miles an hour. <laughs> are you sure? You know, 911, are you sure? That's really not an emergency. Yes, he went super fast. Well, they had to have gotten that call and then sent out two troopers to intercept me. Ah. Uh. With uh, a vague description of the vehicle, you know, sad station wagon going like a rocket, you know, black as night, just going like hell. Anyway, I'm keeping my eyes peeled. I'm doing about 115 across Wyoming at this point. Clear skies, high noon. The next thing I know, I look across the median and here comes a trooper. And he's in a Chevy Tahoe. Ooh. No lights on, and I'm watching him, watching him. Brake lights go on. He goes through one of the service roads, right between the the north, between the eastbound and westbound, you know, highway lanes. I'm like, oh shit, it, it might be game on. And so instead of doing the instinctual slow down, what do you think I did? Sped up. I oh, sped cool. up exactly. You committed right. straight I, to it, just like I, that. I, I, I sped up. I'm like Chevy Tahoe versus you, this the land jet. I'm I'm taking the land jet. You did the typical fight or flight, get in or get out, and you definitely so, I mean, got in. So as soon as you as soon as you saw that cop coming, you were like, Oh, he's coming for me. Yeah. Well, yeah, get a lick and split. I mean, there's two hundred meters between eastbound and westbound lanes. I look over at him, he looks over at me, and we can tell it was game on, right? Ooh. You know, I mean, he gave me the stink eye from 200 meters away. I gave him the stink eye, and I said, yeah, no, I'm not slowing down. <laughs> he goes around through the service entrance, and now he still doesn't put the lights on, but I can see him coming. He's coming, he's coming, and I'm I'm still kicking probably 115, 110, still rolling, and he's got a plan. And what does he do? He radios up to two truckers, and what does he tell them to do? I want you to go side by side. Don't let that car through. Two do two semis side by side slow it down. Speed limit's eighty. They slow it down to seventy, sixty-five. I'm like, oh fuck, this isn't gonna go well. So what do you think I do? Skirt around them. service road. Oh, it's coming. Freaking nail the service road now. I take a left across the service road. I'm going westbound. Now I'm going eastbound across oh. there and hit the gas with everything I have. Now the lights are on, and it went from chill pursuit to hot pursuit. And I can only imagine this dude's on the radio going, we got a hot one. I got a guy. You got a guy. So anyway, I go across, get on eastbound after going westbound. Now I'm going back home the the direction I was just coming from, hauling balls, right? But I paid attention, and there was a a, – a rest stop that I went across and what I knew what I could do was get off the rest stop down and go underneath the freeway and then get back going west again. Ooh, and, ooh. and as I was doing that, I could do it way faster than that Chevy Tahoe. Mm-hmm. And so that's exactly what I did. I went about three miles back east on I-80, got off the exit, blew through all the stop signs, went underneath the freeway, and then got going west again, right? Uh-huh. And this time, I'm not dicking around. I'm like, let's find out what my my Saab station wagon can do after already 1,200 miles of this trip. Yeah, oh, open her up right now. Open that fucker up with everything I got. And this is, this is noon, clear conditions, 
the road is beautiful. It's like glass out there, right? Uh-huh. There's no bumps. There's no turns. There's nothing. It's just a high-speed showdown, and I have got the secret weapon, the Saab 2.3-liter turbo, 280 horsepower, let it go. And I'm flying. The car sounds like a jet when it's going this fast. It goes up to 120, 125, 130, 135. There's no governor at 139, by the way. All the way to 140, 145, and shit's flying by me now, right? Uh It's like I'm driving through a parking lot. At 70 miles oh. an hour, and none of the cars are moving. But I'm doing 140, they're doing 80. And uh-huh. I'm lying. Not even, I can't even see him anymore. He's gone. There's no lights. There's nothing in the back and the rear view mirror, which I occasionally look at. You don't want to look in the rear view mirror too many times. 140 miles an hour, you'll hit something, and it's not going to be good. Anyway, I jump off the exit, get on this place called Sinclair, Wyoming. It's like a gas town. It's like a refinery or something, but it's a town. And I'm going to, I'm going to, because the one rule of thumb I know about in a car chase, if they last a long time, you're fucked. You got to get them done and over in a hurry. And this one is already going for 30 minutes. I mean, it's going long, but we're so far in the middle of nowhere. There's no, there's no other response vehicles to, to, to stop me. So I just, I'm hammering it. So anyway, I get off at the exit, blow through some more stop signs, and and now when I look over my shoulder, there's nowhere to hide out there, right? There's nowhere to hide. There's no trees. There's no hills. There's no towns. But finally, I get this little town, and I'm like going to burn through there. And I'm going so fast, there is dust billowing behind my car like I'm on a dirt road because out there, they use a lot of sand to uh, to prevent people from sliding off the road. I go flying into this little town, you know, slow down about 70 or 80, you know, and then find a find a, a quiet neighborhood, pull right in and park and get in the back of the car like I'm sleeping, not moving a muscle. I'm like, oh, shit, you know, they're going to come. They're going to come. But I still had at least a mile on them when they were trying to trying to catch me. So I had a spot. I get a spot. I sit there. I'm waiting there for probably like 20 minutes. Next thing I know, I hear bang, bang, bang on my window. And I'm like, oh shit! Bang, bang, bang <laughs> on the window. That's his freaking. T- that's his freaking flashlight, right? I I wake up. I'm like, what? Uh, what? You know, I'll put my best, you know, Tylenol yeah. PM face on. I can make. I can yeah. muster. Like what? Huh? What? Anyway, I show him my hands because I wouldn't want him to pull, you know, pull his gun on me or something and get shot in the process. But. He had a feeling it might be me, you know, that he'd been pursuing for the last 25 miles. <laughs> anyway, I'm here and I get out of the car and I'm chill. I've been taking those deep breaths and trying to lower my heart rate. And so I'm not like hyperventilating. I'm just chilling. I'm just chilling. He goes, uh, so how long you been here? Uh, I'm like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm driving from Michigan, man. I don't know. I'm probably, you know half hour, hour, something like that. I'm, I'm just trying to catch some shut-eye. No, come on. No, no. how long have you been here? I said, that's my story, man. I've been here a while. Give me your fucking license. <laughs> <laughs> that's never good, right? Give me your fucking license. Oh, my gosh. Guy takes my license. He says, sit here and don't move. And he goes over to his trooper, his trooper car, Another, another cop shows up. I'm like, oh, God. Goes, show, I need your license. Show me your hands. And I'm like, here's my license. I gave my license to the other guy. Here's my hands. I'm not doing anything. I'm just, Now I'm sitting on the hood of my car. He asked me, he come, gets out of his car. He goes, how long have you been here? I go, I don't know. What time is it here in Wyoming? I mean, my time's still on, on Michigan time. Yeah. <laughs> Depends which I'm time you're talking I'm, about, sir. I'm still being a smartass, right? Trying to be vague about how long I've been here. He walks over by my car and he can smell the smell of just hot metal, right? Oh. Just wafting underneath the car. <laughs> you still want to stick with how long you've been here? As you don't know? I'm like, yep, sure do. <laughs> I, he says, I think I think I was following you recently, like about five minutes ago. I'm like, no, nope, I don't think so because I've been here, been here a while, sleeping. Yeah. It's all right. I got a deal for you. You confess right now and tell me it was you, and I'll go easy on you. 
if you continue to lie to me, like I think you are, I said, sir, I'm not lying. Well, I'm going to call the person that called in to 911, and I'm going to have them come here. And if they ID your car, all bets are off. You're going to jail. You aren't going anywhere. You're going to have to – I'm pulling your license, everything. Oh, damn. You don't, want, you don't want that to happen. Ooh. So I, 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 I think about it for a minute. I'm like, somebody had to call in. We're all traveling at 80 miles an hour for 30 miles. And this guy's been dicking around with me for 20 minutes. That's 50 minutes, right, that have gone by at 80 miles an hour. That dude's got to be at least an hour and 20 minutes from here now. Ooh, yeah. I go, oh, I go, I go nope, uh, it's still me. I'm still been sleeping here, and I don't I don't budge, and I, I just don't say anything else. No more details. He goes back to his car, can't produce the 911 caller, walks over to me with his cowboy boots and goes, I know it was fucking you. Here's your goddamn license. Now slow the fuck down. Uh-huh. <laughs> he lets me go. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, my God, was that freaking uh-huh. close. So anyway, that's what you call shitting your pants and getting away with it, and you better never, ever, ever do that again. So holy hell, needs to go back to sleep. They didn't want it to go that fast. It wouldn't make it that fast, you know. (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) They didn't want us to go that fast. Every car would have a governor at seventy-five. That's right. Exactly. So you're just doing it a service. Doing a service, yep, exactly. I like the way you think, man. We ought to go for a ride sometime. There we, I, absolutely. But <laughs> I guess, well, my next question got to bring it back. I mean, sure. How have you? Do you think you've achieved so much success and excelled at every level here? I mean, you've been out here in high school winning championships, college. I mean, being a pro, post professionally, it sounds like you got a couple of good things going for you. I mean. I, are you still running? I mean, how did you get to these levels as something that outside people are going to call successful? Yeah, so, um, you know, I'm not any kind of motivational speaker or anything like that. Um, but what I can say is, is that you have to look inside you and say, I want to find out the answer to a specific question. And the question is, how good can I be? And Every day, if you dedicate yourself to answering that question, how good I can be, that is that is a position of becoming something. That's not sitting and saying, this is who I am and I am already. That is a position of, I want to learn more. I'm willing to take risks. I'm willing to look to other people that are better than me and copy what they do. I'm willing to, to ask a coach or a teammate what can I do to get better? And if you continually ask yourself, what can I do to become the best I can be, then that will lead you to a path of fulfillment. And it's not that it's going to be a championship that's going to make you feel great. It's that each and every day you can look yourself in the mirror and say, today I gave all I had and I got closer to answering that question. And I had a specific quote that I always like to share with people. It goes like this. Today I gave all I had. What I've kept is lost forever. And that rings true in every competition we ever put our toe on the line for. Give all you can because this moment will never be again. So get all you can. And uh, – um that means making a mistake here and there. It means taking a risk once in a while. It means showing up um, prepared and ready to execute. And uh, that's the best best advice I can give you, man. Mm-hmm. Is uh, um, and I hope that hope that rings true to your listeners. Absolutely, right, for sure. Thank you. You're so what's what's here? Well, we've already talked about your past. What's here? What are you currently doing in life? Running wise, coaching wise, that type of thing. So minus all the swear words, um, (laughs) uh, what I do is I actually work with kids um, uh, four days a week, Monday through Thursday, and I help them answer that question, how good can they be? Um, I show them how it's fulfilling to work hard today without the certainty of success tomorrow, and that, that has served them very, very well and made me very proud as their coach. 
and we've had success on the junior Olympic level with the 1500 meter national champion last year in 2017, had an indoor age uh, 11 long jumper indoor this past year, and I continue to produce kids that are undertrained and can outperform most high school kids in a 5K. And, and these kids can run low 19s, high 18s for a 5K and run 508 um, almost. And I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to have a couple of them break five minutes outdoor this year, um, this over the summer. And, uh, and they're just they're, – you can put them in your pocket. They're so small. I mean they're just little kids and they listen to what I say. They never run over double digits for mileage in a week and um, they're having a blast. And uh, I hope to someday deliver them, you know, as a 17, 18, 19, 25-year-old, hopefully, you know, to the top of the world ranks. And and some of them are le- learning those building blocks to get there. And I'm, I'm really proud of them. So the name of my track club is called Chariots of Fire, um, just like the movie, if you've ever seen the movie um, called Chariots of Fire. And um, uh, I just – I have about 40 of these kids that every day trust – me uh to that, that they're gonna have fun and and learn how to run fast so that's it's been about. it's been a great great feeling that's awesome but last thing um we're gonna fire off a couple quick questions at you and just answer okay. answer yes or no or like just simple one word answer all right you got it all right sex before a race yes or no yes bud light or miller light bud light would you ever run a beer mile, yes or no? Yes. Favorite place you've ever raced? Oh, Oslo, Norway, the Golden Mile. Ah. Ooh. Have you ever run a naked mile? Yes, Ann Arbor. And last thing, favorite pro runner currently? Matt Sechowitz. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. You've helped me a ton, and you're helping us get this podcast to the next level. So do you have anything else to say, Shay or DB? Absolutely. Thank you for coming on. I mean, you are probably one of the cooler ones, uh, most well variety uh, guy we've interviewed so far. I mean, a ton of racing experience back in the day. So we appreciate you coming on to the show, buddy. All right. No, I really appreciate it. It was an honor today, and, and uh, thank you for sharing my stories, man. Oh, I loved all the stories. All right. Well, good yeah, stuff. Thanks so much, Trevor, and uh, we'll see you soon for a, for a ride in the car, all right? All right. Sounds <laughs> good. See you, Paul. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. So he definitely is the most interesting runner in the world. Can we agree with that? Agree oh, holy wow. cow. Yeah. I mean, there, literally, <laughs> there is no quit in this guy. Like, he has had success at every level. He's absolutely wild from I mean, some of his stories. Now, I, what can't this guy do? All right. So, DB, let's preview what's to come this week. We have a pretty big week, well, so let's, what's coming? we got the USA Track and Field Championships in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, why they chose Iowa, I don't know. But That's at Drake uh, University at the Drake Stadium. Central location, yeah, enough, boys. Location, and location. no more Hayward Field. So. Uh, from June 21st to the 24th. So the best track and field athletes in the country are going to be just on one big stage. Uh, we're going to be keeping you guys up with the latest updates of the college athletes signing with a professional contract. Many already have, but sure there's more to come. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, do we have anything else? Shay, anything? I think that's about it, boys. DB, anything else to add? Most, most interesting runner in the world. Uh, we got him on the show, so I, I like it. enjoy it, yeah. All right, so subscribe, drop a rating as usual, write a review if you want to, keep your bad comments to yourself. We really want positivity <laughs> here, and it's been a hell of a week. All right, later.